Hey everyone, James here. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that there's about a week to 10 days in between recording most of these episodes and when we publish them. As you listen, keep in mind that CDC guidelines, the impact of the virus, and what we know about how it spreads, all these things are changing almost daily. This interview was originally recorded on March 26th. Welcome to Online Chapel at Washita. Receiving is not a sign, and attendance will not be taken. And now would you give a warm Washita welcome to our host, James Taylor. Just off the Caddo River in Clark County is a piece of land that's private property, but that feels like home to many people. It's actually home to the Eubanks family, recently even housing four generations of them in the same house. On some days, it feels like an extension of the Washita campus as students meet to enjoy campfires and cookouts, learn to kayak or swim. Today's guest is Byron Eubanks, professor of philosophy at Washita, and if we had a kayaking department, he'd be the chair of it. Dr. Eubanks and his family live out their faith in many ways, but especially by being generous with their time and what they have, sharing with Washita and the Arkadelphia community, and always willing to help a neighbor or a friend. Dr. Eubanks joins us today not only as a professor of philosophy, but as someone who lives generously and helps others regularly, which seem like good qualities to focus on during the weeks ahead. Dr. Eubanks, thanks for taking time to join us on the podcast. How are you and your family doing today? We're doing well. Amy and I went out for a hike yesterday afternoon, socially distancing on the White Trail at Iron Mountain. So we got a couple of hours of, of exercise and we're enjoying some time with our uh, grandson, Wilder. So all things considered, in good shape. Our parents, my mom and Amy's mom, are in local nursing care or assisted living facilities. And they're on lockdown, so we're able to communicate only by cell phone with them. And that's a bit of a challenge, but we're making it work. Well, today as we're recording, it's Thursday, March 26th, and so this may air a little bit later, but we're about a week after the sort of the hoarding, the runs to the grocery stores, people maybe for the first time in their life go into a store and realizing that all of one product was gone, whether it's the meat or the toilet paper, something that they were used to. And uh, I know it's, it's caused me to think a little bit about our nature and how sometimes in, in moments of panic we want to hoard things together. And to contrast that with generosity and how as Christians we try to be people who are willing to give from our resources and I know that we've talked personally in the past, um, and and I've just noticed from you and your family's lifestyle that y'all are people who are generous with your resources. And I wonder if you had any thoughts on the kind of this relationship, uh, these contrasts between generosity as Christians versus this kind of panicky hoarding that, that we've all kind of noticed happening in the world around us, particularly dealing with groceries and those kinds of supplies. Yeah, when you put it as panicky hoarding, I think that's the right way to approach it because I think we we are tempted to uh, grasp and hold on to things when we're afraid. And it is a fear, if not directly about our lives or our well-being, but it's a fear that the resources, the things that we depend on won't be readily available to us. So we 
we begin to see others grasping and we follow suit and, and try to get our share, if you will. Whereas for the Christian, uh, in many ways, we're reminded that Jesus told us that, well, we're told that love casts out fear. Love should help us overcome that fear, but it's not automatic. It's hard. And we're as human as anybody and subject to the same worries and fears as anyone else. So it becomes a real challenge, I think, to keep our focus on how we, uh, in this day and time, how we love our neighbors as ourselves uh, and don't give in to the fears that so easily beset us. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's hard. Uh, we, you know, we all need toilet paper. So when the aisles, uh, toilet paper aisle is empty, it makes us worry a bit. Yeah, I've been, you talked about, you know, we see other people and it kind of causes us to have want to grab the stuff that we need. And it's interesting how I think both generosity and hoarding are both contagious in a way that when you right. when you see that behavior in in other people, you also can can you respond by thinking, well, I can do that too. Both in the negative stance of where you see if there's a run on a product, you go for it too because you think, well, even if I didn't need it, I better get it now. Uh, but also, I think it's been interesting to see, you know, as you as you observe other people being generous and kind and even giving in a sacrificial way. It can also be in, in that sense contagious and cause others uh, cause others to be more generous when they recognize that it is it is something that can be done and it helps kind of spread peace instead of fear. Um, right, and one one element of generosity I've thought about uh, in this in this time of social distancing is just that very need for uh, the sense of quarantine or social distancing as a as an expression of generosity. In our in our culture, we're very much uh, individualistic. We want to do our thing in our way, and we tend not to think too much about how our, our actions can affect others. As someone who just uh, a couple of days ago had my 62nd birthday, I'm now in the the over 60 category, uh, so more susceptible to serious illness if I were to get the the virus, and so. Uh, as someone in that position, but also recognizing the, the challenges of this for our whole culture, I think, well, what, I'd still like to be able to go out and do the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. But if that puts not only myself at a risk, but others at a risk, then not doing what I want to do is in some ways being generous to others who may be ne- negatively affected uh, by my thoughtless uh, actions, so it's a you know it's not a typical expression of generosity we might think of, but even acting in ways that focus on the welfare of others and not just on what I want to do can be an expression of generosity. I think. Yeah. I'm curious. Have you seen? Were there any people that particularly served as models of of generosity to you that uh, impacted your life in terms of? How you go about letting people borrow, um, you know, borrow from your resources? Y'all are so generous with uh, sharing with your land and letting student groups come out there. Is there anyone who kind of modeled that for you? I, I could point to several people. Uh, my parents, uh, my my wife's parents, uh, have both been good uh, models uh, to to see. One person I often refer to uh, as really got my attention as an adult was L.B. Jordan, who was a former director of missions in our area. 
when I first moved back to Arkadelphia to teach at Washita in 1987, I met LB and we, we went fishing together a couple of times. Uh, and then in the late summer when my family uh, came down to camp for a week out at Iron Mountain and do some fishing and uh, other things to enjoy the, the lake, he drove up with his bass boat behind his truck and detached the trailer from his truck and said, here it is, use it for a week, bring it to me when you're finished. And I knew that his bass boat was one of his prized possessions. And though we had gone fishing together a couple of times, it wasn't like we were uh, big best buddies of long standing. And that really impressed me uh, that, that he would turn over to us uh, one of his prized possessions to use for the week. And it's always it's always risky to loan your stuff to other people, even uh, people who are generally responsible. Accidents happen. Damage can occur. And so uh, he was he was one of uh, many that got my attention by his own generosity and helped me to begin consciously trying to be more uh, open handed with the things that we that we own or have access to and sharing them with others, even knowing that sometimes they get damaged or get lost. Uh, that's just, you know, it's a good reminder that it's just stuff. Mm. It's not the, the essence of life. Uh, it's a reminder not to lay up treasures uh, on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. So that's uh, something I still struggle with, but have, have made some progress in. Mm. Yeah, and you use the word risk. It, you know, it reminds me that Christ, he calls us to give in ways that will put us at risk, not just to give out of our extra, but in some sense, when you're giving yeah. of a resource, you're, if you're loaning something out, it can be damaged, and you you give with the knowledge that that could happen. Or if you you know share from resources, you recognize that means you're going to have less, and it comes with the risk that you could run out. But uh, I think it's that reminder that uh, the Christian life is not a risk-free life, and that that even affects how we relate with one another. Indeed, faith is at heart in many ways uh, risky. Faith and love are always risky, uh, and that's they're worth the risk. Uh, you, if we try to live a risk-free life, we're going to be living in a bubble somewhere. Yeah. Well, as a professor at Washita, uh, you teach a number of classes, uh, including ethics, and this uh, the last couple of weeks have provided no shortage of ethical dilemmas, questions, conversations that have been happening around our country even. I was wondering if there was any uh, any of these ethical questions that have been running through your mind as a professor of philosophy, as someone who teaches ethics. How have you been thinking about uh, how we, as a nation and as a church, have handled this crisis? Well, I read a story last night that uh, struck me as particularly challenging, uh, and it, I guess it would connect with my death and dying class more directly than any other class I do. But many, many hospitals are having to think carefully about how they respond to elderly patients who are perhaps facing what we call a code uh, because of the COVID-19 virus that affects the respiratory system. And if they go into uh, cardiac arrest, then the typical hospital practice would be to involve a code blue team where they come in with lots of doctors and nurses and do CPR. And it's a full on uh, attempt to sustain someone's life. 
but it involves lots of bodily fluids and lots of exposure of the healthcare professionals to the patient's uh, body. And so it would be significantly more risky for the healthcare team to contract the COVID-19 virus in the middle of a, of a code. So some hospitals are considering, I don't know that any have made a decision yet, but are just considering changing their their sort of standard of practice with respect to doing codes and not only talking with families, but considering a policy that would say we don't we don't do code blues or we change the way we do code blues. Because if we have increased numbers of our healthcare team that that get infected and are no longer able to serve other patients, then we may save one life in the short term but lose many others in the long term because of uh, healthcare workers themselves being exposed and, and unable to provide ongoing care for other patients. Hmm. So it's a, it's kind of a question of healthcare rationing uh, that may, may come to work in other ways too. If our hospitals get overwhelmed, then there are more patients needing care than can be provided. So, this is a, a real concern for those in the healthcare professions right now, and another reason for those of us who are healthy to do everything in our power to stay healthy mm-hmm. so that we don't overwhelm the system and cause problems for everybody else. On a smaller scale, well, both on a large and small scale, I think the, the issue of truth is uh, being more and more obvious. We, times like these, we really need good information and we need uh, transparency and truth from our healthcare system, from the Center for Disease Control, from our politicians. You know, to be able to make good decisions and avoid panic, uh, we need to be confident that the information we're getting is good information. And since so much of that these days comes through social media, uh, it becomes incumbent, especially on us as Christians, to be careful what we pass along. So much disinformation, so much falsehood gets passed along uh, sort of without even thinking about it. We just we just forward or post something without really investigating to see if it's accurate or not. And I think that's that's one element where we as believers especially should be real careful not to pass along uh, anything that we have uh, have not been able to to check out and make sure that we're confident about its truth. Yeah, and it's it is can be particularly tricky you know, you read a post or you get an email, and I like to consider myself someone who can spot a spam email pretty pretty easily. But man, there's some there's some really good looking information that comes out, and it looks like it's you know accurate. It looks like it's truthful. But you really you have to do work, especially if you're going to share something. You know, it takes a lot of work to kind of dig in and to find out is this is this information coming from a reliable source and something that's that's trustworthy enough enough that I'm that I'm willing to share it and put my name behind it as well. Is the, there's an ethical responsibility with with even something like a Facebook post? Sure. Yeah. One one definition I've read uh, of integrity is what we do when no one is looking, and that would count with almost all of our Facebook posts. But uh, in these days of moving toward online classes as a teacher uh, and working with students, uh, I think. It's also something it's going to be a, a chance for our students to exercise some integrity because they're going to be doing their work largely on their own with nobody looking. Mm-hmm. And so um, it gives us an opportunity 
to test our mettle, if you will, to test our commitment to truth and integrity uh, in the way we do our work as, as students and teachers. Yeah. And as a, as a teacher, I teach one class as well. And so, you know, starting a semester with uh, in-person experience, which is what most of our students come to Washita for, but then out of no one's choice or desire having to move to online, it, it certainly creates a whole new world where even as a professor, you have to rearrange a course, uh, be gracious, hopefully recognizing that everyone's been in a multi-week transition here. Uh, and so we're all kind of walking those roads uh, those new roads together. That's right. And maybe go back to generosity where we started this conversation. And that is, I think we're going to have to, as instructors and as students, try to be a little bit generous with each other. I'm an old guy trying to learn, an old dog trying to learn new tricks, if you will. And I'm sure a lot of things uh, are not going to work the way I thought they would or the way I intended them to. And so, I, I will expect or hope that my students can be a little generous with me and give me a chance to work things out. But uh, if I expect that from them, they have every uh, right to expect something similar for me. And that is to be you know, uh, flexible, generous, uh, appropriately to to um, realize they're they're also dealing with a situation that they didn't create and we're all trying to kind of muddle through and make it work for a few weeks mm-hmm. so it's a it's, it's, it's gonna be an interesting balance we don't want to just throw our hands up and say all right well everybody gets an a at least i don't want to do that <laughs> i think uh, not that i'm opposed to everyone getting a's but uh we want our we want our education to still count. We want our, our A's and our grades to be a somewhat accurate reflection of the learning that's happened. So we don't want to just throw our hands up, but we want to find uh, an appropriate balance, I think, uh, in dealing with an unusual situation uh, as best we can. In the last couple of weeks, uh, is there a passage of Scripture that you found uh, to be particularly meaningful? Well, there have been several, uh, but one I'll point to in um, a couple of weeks ago, our pastor at First Baptist Church, Jimmy Darby, preached from Psalm 46 and challenged the congregation to try to memorize that. I'm, to be honest, still working on uh, getting the memorization done. I've, I've made some progress, but I'm not not quite uh, complete there. And then my colleague Scott Duvall, I think, has also done some uh, devotions on Psalm 46. And so I've been pretty much daily going back and spending some time in Psalm 46 and uh, the affirmation that that God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble uh, is a good reminder that our our jobs, our families, our health, our our economy, our income, these are the things that we typically want to find our security in. And this virus reminds us that all of those can go away rather quickly. And so uh, to to affirm, to be reminded that our ultimate refuge, our ultimate strength is not in those things, but in, in God, uh, our creator, our redeemer, I think is a, a good reminder. There's another passage in that psalm, though, um, a little bit farther down, uh, where in verse 5, it affirms that God is within her, that is, the city of God, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Later on in Israel's history, um, there were times when the people of Israel and the kings would point back to a verse like this 
and use it to reassure themselves that God would never let Jerusalem fall. When historically we know he did because his people had strayed so far that his patience finally came to an end and they, they experienced the consequences of their sin. So I think on the one hand, while we affirm that God is our refuge and strength, on the other hand, we don't want to be presumptuous and think that because we are people of faith um, that we are immune to a virus, to a job loss, to death, um, that, that God is our refuge and strength does not mean we won't face the challenges that as human beings we all face. God is our refuge in the midst of, of that and doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily keep us from experiencing the trials uh, that are common to humanity. So those are the – you're trying to, trying to maintain that sort of tension between those two realizations I think is kind of helpful to me in this time. Yes, God is my refuge. Um, but that is not something I can presume upon. I'm, I could get COVID-19 just like the next person could, and I could die just like the next person could. God will be with me if I do, but I'm not immune to that. So I should not uh, presume on God's uh, power or graciousness to, to protect me from all those things. Yeah. And you think about in a, in a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Easter uh, we don't know what that quite will look like. You know, if most churches will be open or not. But in those, in that week of Passion Week, we'll be reminded that Christ Himself was not immune from suffering or even death. Uh, but that the hope of of God being our refuge is is founded in ultimately in the resurrection that Christ overcame death. That's right. There's a the one, one more verse I'll point to, and then I'll I'll stop because there's a lot in this passage. But uh, others will be talking about it too. I'm sure. Toward the end of the of the psalm in verse 10, uh, the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. And in this uh, sort of semi-quarantine lockdown setting, many of us are having to be still in ways that we haven't been typically. So our schedules are changed. doesn't mean that we're not active, that we're not doing things. But it has it has caused us to do things differently and perhaps uh, in some useful ways forced us to slow down, to spend time alone with our thoughts. Um, maybe by the time we get tired of watching Netflix or Amazon Prime, we, we, we just turn things off and are still gives us an opportunity in the middle of this to to connect with God, not just know that he is God, but to in that stillness, try to meet uh, with God on a regular, meaningful, relational basis. And I think that's something that something useful for our spiritual lives that can come out of this time is that sh- that change in schedule, a reordering of priorities, and an opportunity to connect more uh, personally with God again. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to call in, and uh, we pray that you you and your family are doing well. Thanks. It's been my pleasure, and I look forward to uh, seeing students again as soon as we can. And that's all for this week's episode of The Chapel Podcast. Thanks to Noah James for permission to use his music on the podcast. Remember, you can find him as Noah James on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Byron Eubanks for being our guest this week. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll be back again next week.